It is the 200 level episode 115, untitled as of the recording, but whenever you're listening to it in your car, on your phone, there will be some sort of title. Like I mentioned last week, these titles can either be clever and well thought out or just sort of a placeholder just to give it a name and just move on with my life. It is a Monday, sorry, feels like a Monday, right? Tuesday afternoon, stormy outside, just got done with the day of school and hopefully the voice doesn't reflect that too much. As we get into what is probably another busy show, it seems like every show that we've had in the uh, recent past has been full of news, and that's because every single week and really every single day that goes by, it seems like we're getting more and more information about Big Ten football, about the future of college basketball, whether or not we're going to get that off the ground after Thanksgiving. You lump that in with just college campuses in general and COVID-19 and the effects that it's having there, and living in Champaign-Urbana, seeing the effects that it's having here at UIUC. And in the aftermath of Labor Day, we will probably have a bit of a, a lag before we see the effects of whatever people were doing on Labor Day weekend. We actually had a nice little trip to Michigan, little park off of Lake Michigan to see Kara's family up there. It's about halfway for each of us. Sat outside, had a little bit of lunch, just chilled out for about three hours. And it's one of those things where it's um, it's very cool when you're doing it. And yet there's this kind of sadness that permeates the whole interaction because you realize that, well, in normal circumstances, Kara and I could go spend an entire weekend up by Ann Arbor. Her parents live by Ann Arbor up there and visit her parents and her sister and, and brother-in-law and and all that good stuff without the fear of consequence by staying in the same home as they are, which I say the word fear. And of course, that could be misconstrued as a hey, carp. You're a Corona bro and you're freaking out about something that probably isn't that big of a deal. Well, no, I think ultimately, if it came down to it, and I, I hope for Thanksgiving and Christmas, this is the case that we can get tested and up down here where Kara and I know that we can be safe and healthy and all that, and that we'd love to figure out some sort of compromise for Thanksgiving and Christmas. I think that is really going to be the moment for a lot of people where it's going to be one of two things. Either there are going to be a lot of broken hearts of people that are not doing their normal tradition, or people are just going to say, screw it. I'm, I'm not going to give up my Thanksgiving or my Christmas for this stupid virus. And I think it's probably going to be the latter, because if you look at the way people have acted since this thing came up in the first place, I don't think the fear is there, or I should say there are certain things that we want to do that trump that fear or even that trepidation to do these things. I get it. I understand rationalizing things and saying, well, you know, I'll probably be fine because until you feel sick, there is this level of invincibility, especially younger people. And I'm 33, so maybe I would consider myself a young person. <laughs> That's all you know, relative, I guess. But I, I understand Maybe not completely sympathize, but I understand why there is that inclination for us to return to normal, even if it's not safe. I understand why people would say, open up the schools, or why people would say, we need college football. Why are we not playing college football? But at the end of the day, the word that I think is far more representative of my thoughts on the whole COVID-19 crap, not fear, but uncertainty. And with that uncertainty whether that be the long-term effects of this or the transmission, even if it is a game being played outdoors, if there's a bunch of guys ramming into each other on a football field, got to think it's going to transmit somehow, right? But it's the uncertainty of that. And why I don't have the usual enthusiasm, let's put it, for the return of football. I say all that. And yes, I watched about a quarter and a half of Texas State SMU. I think that was Saturday that that game was on. Not particularly good football, but it was football nonetheless, and it was fun to watch it. When the Bears play on Sunday, even though I don't really have many expectations for them this year, you can bet I'm going to be watching it and excited. I'm going to wake up Sunday thinking, what, it's NFL Sunday? What? I get the Bears at noon? Go get little Porgy's half chicken special like the good old days? That will be nice. I am excited about that. But and that excitement is tempered by the fact that any of these seasons potentially could be derailed, especially college football, college sports. That could be derailed by a bunch of positive tests. And also the fact that there are just bigger things going on than sports. And I say that as the dude hosting a sports podcast. So that is a little bit contradictory almost, but I, I just have had a harder time, I think, getting into it. And it doesn't help that the Yankees completely suck right now. They are terrible. They will likely, well, if they make the playoffs, it won't matter. 
They are not a team that's going to win the World Series. And I said, and this is, I think, a good a good sign that things could be returning normal. I said back in June, I think, before baseball was about to get underway, a couple weeks before it, that, you know what? Um, even if they suck, I'll just be happy that baseball is back. But it didn't take long to realize that I will still get pissed if my team just stinks. And... What I'm already kind of doing is distancing myself from the Yankees. If the Bears start sucking, I'll do the same thing with them. And then just really kind of sit here and wait for Illinois basketball season, which is not as far away as it may feel. Technically, it could be just a little bit over two months away if they get that thing going for Thanksgiving. So we do have a packed show today. There was some news from Dan Patrick's show, you know, his sources. And we are going to get in a quick discussion about sources and why that word, for whatever reason, well, not for whatever reason, for many reasons, actually, has kind of had a rough go of it. You hear sources and you think, I don't believe that. Uh, Also, a quick discussion of Sir Yacht. I don't know if you've heard of Sir Yacht on Twitter. He has sort of taken the Twitter world by storm, specifically Big Ten college football fans, with this interesting phenomenon where if you simply tell people what they want to hear, people will flock to follow you. Just tell them what they want to hear. And uh, he's done okay with that, even though I don't know if he has any sources whatsoever. I get the feeling Dan Patrick might be a little bit more plugged in than Sir Yacht, who has been consistently wrong about this. Uh, of course, we have an article from Pat Forty, and this was focused on Champaign-Urbana, which I want to share that with you a little bit later because it does a great job of detailing the game day experience, all the people that are affected by the absence of football. And keep in mind, this is Champaign-Urbana, where on a good weekend, we're getting 40,000 people through the turnstiles. Imagine for communities that are getting the 70 to 80,000 people in the turnstiles. That might give you an indication why in the South, they have been so headstrong about getting this season off the ground. But plenty of stuff to get to. Of course, I got to remind you, before we get into any of it, that the 200 level is brought to you by three fantastic sponsors. Really appreciate all their help and support. DP Doe being first and certainly not last. I go way back with DPDO. They started on 93.5 back in 2013. And Steve and I have had a great relationship throughout. And here's the deal. I feel better about talking about a sponsor when I know the product is good. And DPDO is great. Calzones delivered piping hot to your door anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. You can get a custom zone with any topping you want. You can get one of their favorites like the Buffer Zone, the Maui Wowie. Those are two of my favorites. You get the dipping sauce with it. Like I said, delivery anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. If you don't really want to wade into the campus bubble, they will bring it to you. All the best deals and prices online at dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. More t-shirt designs coming up in October, but two uh, designs they released within the last month. The first one, about three, four weeks ago, is an Illini football t-shirt that, damn, I wish we had a season, just so I could wear this t-shirt in the lots. I'm going to order it anyway, and whenever we do get Illini football, you will want this t-shirt taken from a 1978 Illini Purdue football program. I think I got that right. Super cool, super vintage, like all the 4th and Kirby stuff, and I will also tell you that the t-shirts are very high quality. Have a couple of them. I'm going to add in my collection here soon. Use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Trevor Valise's favorite domain name because it's easy to remember. One of my favorite domain names because it is actually true. Brian is your guy if you so choose, and I know him um, quite well, and here's the deal. When it comes to insurance, I don't know anything about it, and I prefer to defer. I prefer to defer. I did not realize that would rhyme. To experts, Brian and his staff, they are certainly experts, and not just that, they are local products from East Central Illinois. So if you're from the area, you probably want to trust people that are also from the area and know the specific uh, insurance do's and don'ts, ins and outs. He and his staff certainly know that. And the easiest thing to do is just go to brianismyguy.com for more information. Got to thank Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. I think that's it for the particulars. Usually it doesn't take 10 minutes to get through that. I must be long-winded today, and I guess that is the problem when you get into a monologue podcast, which is what this is going to be for a little bit. Again, trying to get used to the school thing and my schedule, what that all looks like. We will get back to interviews and Trevor and Harry and that kind of stuff soon enough. But I do appreciate you kind of rolling along with us as we kind of adapt, right? It seems like this is a podcast that is adapted. Uh, We've tried to do so consciously and sometimes maybe unconsciously we're changing without even noticing it. But I do need to remind you, and I really do appreciate these. We've gotten a lot of ratings and reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts. That is a huge help. 
So when people type a line I, they'll find the 200 level. And best believe that when games start again, we are going to be 24-7 a line I podcast. We're going to be really laser focused on that. Of course, wading into different waters when it is so, um, when it's necessary to do so. But at the moment, we don't have a lot of Alana stuff to talk about. A lot of these reviews, I appreciate the fact that some of you have been willing to go along in that uh, veering off a little bit to the left and a little bit to the right and taking these different turns that maybe Alana Sports Podcast have not tried before. So thank you for indulging me. And I hope that above all, you know, I, I'm not trying to make an educational podcast. I'm not trying to change the hearts and minds necessarily. I still want this first and foremost to be something you look forward to listening to and are entertained by. But I think at the end of the day, entertainment also is a direct result of whether or not you're talking about interesting things. And I think we've done that. How interesting we've talked about those interesting things, that is up for you, the rater, the reviewer. And if you want to give a one-star review, by all means, you can do that. But I do appreciate the feedback we've gotten. It helps us out and it keeps me in check. It does because whether it be the one-star review that says you stink or the five-star review that says great gerb, Great gerb. Uh, we appreciate any feedback. And I do mean that. This coming from someone that did get rattled occasionally by the text line. Uh, you know, the beauty of Twitter is I can mute people. I never block, but you can mute. And I know that last week we had the kerfluffle, for lack of a better word, with the folks over at Orange and Blue News. Now, I, I do need to clarify something that I said. And I want to repeat it, that for Orange and Blue News, it is not about the website as a whole. And it's more about Doug Bouchon and, and choices that he has made in terms of coverage that I think it is safe to presume are a direct result of his politics. When the big thing that I want to make clear is that I have less of an issue with his politics than I do his journalistic decision to not cover the protests that happened last week with Brad Underwood, Lovey Smith, and Josh Whitman. Yes, it was a player's protest keep the focus on them. But there's no doubt that it was legitimized by the um, appearance, more than appearance, the participation of Brad Underwood, Josh Whitman, and Lovey Smith. News Gazette wrote an article about that very thing today and that it meant a lot to these players. So that is a journalistic decision that I disagree with vehemently for any website that would basically make its money from a subscriber base that is there to hear about young athletes and then turn a blind eye to them. All that said, please do not lump in the rest of that site. I can't speak for Brad Sturdy or for Alec Bussey, who had uh, been over at 93.5 with us. I know that they're doing good work and good reporting. And as I mentioned, the comparison I made was at 93.5. If people were to judge me based on what Stevie was saying in the morning show, I don't think most people did. And I probably made an indication or two on the afternoon show that you know, there wasn't a lot of common ground uh, in a lot of those conversations he would have in the morning. Nonetheless, though, people could have done that. They could have prejudged Tay and Jay or Tay and Carp and said, well, you're really just an offshoot of the Stevie J show. I don't think most people did that. I don't think people should do that with orangeandbluenews.com. This is very specific to the publisher of that website. A little clarification about that. Uh, other clarification as well. There was an article last week about, came out of the paper up there by Penn State. And there was a doctor from Penn State, and I don't, I guess it was a misquote. He had to clarify himself. It was really poor speaking on his part and probably not the best reporting from the journalist that covered uh, what this doctor was saying, which was essentially, he said in the first article that, what, a third of Big Ten athletes tested positive for COVID-19, uh, the, the ones that did, also had myocarditis like a third or six out of 10. It was a ridiculous number. And I did say on the last podcast that if that is true, I did put that thing in there because it did seem a little bit, whoa, that's a high number. And I trust science and doctors, but that is far higher than anything that came before it in terms of the myocarditis numbers, the heart inflammation stuff. Well, sure enough, Later that afternoon or early evening, it came out that he kind of misspoke and that the journalist didn't really ask follow-up questions. He had to clarify by saying he was referencing the original study, I believe, out of Germany. Now, that thing's been making the rounds, and it's been used for both people arguing against college football and for college football. Clay Travis, I'm pretty sure, has referenced it. Go figure. I think people have, uh, on the side of not playing college football have said, hey, look at this. Where do I fall in this? 
we don't know enough. Uncertainty. That's my word for COVID-19. Not fear or run for the hills or some people in the reviews for the 200 level said, hide my basement and protect grandma. No. Well, you should protect grandma. Come on, be real. But uncertainty. That is the big thing for me. Not fear, uncertainty. So uh, just a couple things of clarification from last week, because if we were to cover something and it turns out that that thing is not true, that uh, initial reporting that I might have read from an article or something on this this very podcast, if that actually is refuted, then I need to kind of make that correction to show that, okay, even if I'm trying to dig out good stuff, good facts and evidence for you, there are going to be mistakes made and I, I will own up to those. So that was something where I went with an article that was about two hours after the podcast, even actually less than that, 30 minutes after the podcast came out was when the doctor essentially clarified his statements. My bad. Thanks, Doc. <laughs> Maybe think this is such a hot button issue. I would just recommend to doctors and journalists alike, if you're doing anything with myocarditis, please, please choose your words carefully. Because, man, I don't know if you've noticed, but this is a hot button issue, especially in the Midwest, where, man, has it become politicized. And it seems like every other day we are getting the president tweeting, go figure, about Big Ten football. And also, go figure, swing states, Penn State, got to get those Nittany Lion fans for Pennsylvania. Michigan, the Wolverines and the Spartans, of course, got to get those guys. Wisconsin, Ohio, even though, listen, if there's one state that would actually be bamboozled, by the tweets of this president about Big Ten football, it would be Ohio. I that, that state is just its own weird beast. It's a weird mix of, it's a Pennsylvania and West Virginia had a baby. That's Ohio. And you can predict accordingly what they will probably do on election day. <laughs> uh, I, I do find the whole sports and politics thing, I do, I think most people are recognizing that they are becoming so interconnected that the whole stick to sports thing is just a moot point because we could say it is specific to player activists and kneeling and wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts. Hey, that's bringing politics into my sports. But on the other side, it's coming directly from the top. So this is not a left-right thing. It's just simply the fact of the matter, sports and politics have intermixed more than they ever have before. And that's not going to go anywhere until temperatures cool. How do you cool temperatures? I don't know. Well, actually, I kind of do know. Who am I kidding? I'm not going to do that whole ruse that I know a few other radio personalities have done. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm just going to broach the question. And even though I know what my opinion is, I don't know. I mean, hey, no, I do know. You can cool the temperature at your local election site. Okay. When you go to vote, you can cool the temperature depending on who you vote for. And I think you can take it from there as to what I'm saying. All right. We had an article from Pat 40 today. And this was specifically focused on Champaign-Urbana during the absence of a football season. I thought it was an interesting choice from Pat Forty because this is not really college football mecca. It is a university town that, while certainly benefits from having seven home football games a year, is not as reliant on it as other communities may be. But nonetheless, it was an illuminating read. I'm going to share this with you because this covers not just the athletic department. It certainly does that, but also Champaign-Urbana as a whole. Uh, commerce here, which has taken a hit. It seems like every week there's a new business that's going under, and hotels are another one of those where there are already a few hotels locally that at least have suspended operations or shut down temporarily, and sadly, that number is probably only going to increase, and it is the absence of things like football that accelerate that. So this is from Pat Forty, Sports Illustrated. Headline, it's devastating. The stark reality of a fall without football hits home in Champaign. Subheadline reads, the city of Champaign would have been rocking last week for a game versus powerhouse Ohio State, racked with an ongoing pandemic and a canceled Big Ten season. It's a ghost town in, instead. Before I get into this, I don't know if Champaign-Urbana uh, would have been rocking. You know, 12,000 people in the stadium. It would have been fun. I think most people's TV sets would have been tuned to that game and people would have had cookouts and all that. How many people would have went out to the bars, stayed in hotels? I don't know how big of an impact that would have made given the fact that you can't stuff the stadium and therefore you aren't going to get as many people traveling in. I digress though, because I certainly last Thursday night was 
bored, not bored, I don't want to say bored, but it hit me more than a few times that, damn it, there should be a football game going on over there. But anyway, here's the article. Josh Whitman sat on a third row aluminum bleacher in the corner of Illinois' Memorial Stadium, gazing at the emptiness, pondering time and place. He played here 20 years ago, and today he is the school's athletic director. Red Grange ran and Dip Buckus tackled this grand old edifice, which is flanked on the east and west sides by towering columns inscribed with the names of Illinoisans killed in World War I. Now for the first autumn in 97 years, no football is expected to be played in this historic stadium. We would be getting ready to go right now, wouldn't we? Whitman says wistfully. They would indeed. It was 5 p.m. last Thursday, the day when the Illini were scheduled to play Ohio State here in the first Power 5 football game of the 2020 season. Just reading that sentence, that kind of hurts. It would have been an idyllic, idyllic, excuse me, college football game, game day. Crisp and sunny in the afternoon with a cool breeze picking up toward nightfall. It was a beautiful day. Even with reduced stadium attendance, the town and campus would have hummed with the long, absent energy. Hotel rooms would be occupied by fans of both teams. Ohio State fans are legendary travelers in support of the Buckeyes. The bars in downtown and in campus town would be seeing their best business in at least six months. The apparel shops would be selling blue and orange merch. Orange and blue, Pat. Come on, orange comes first. Grange Grove, the tailgating area right outside the stadium, would have been the revelry focal point before kickoff for alums and students flocking to food trucks and the souvenir shop. You forgot drinking, Pat. I digress. Sitting in Memorial, Whitman could picture exactly what he would have been doing as kickoff, kickoff approached. Quote, I generally walk down that ramp in the south end zone, he says, pointing to the opposite side of the field. And the first time you come into the horseshoe and see the stadium and the crowd standing in the sideline during warmups, watching the guys get ready to go, it's powerful. I'm always on the field at kickoff and always on the field at the final gun. Opening kickoff of a football game, there are a few things that can match the emotion of the moment. As a former player, I guess I kind of crave that. End quote. The football cravings are going unfulfilled these virus plague days in Big Ten country and beyond. Labor Day weekend, traditionally, the gridiron bacchanal, I hope I said that right, that kicks off four months of college collegiate blocking and tackling, was reduced to a meager nine-game morsel. No big games, no big crowds. The schedule will expand going forward nationally, but not locally, not here. In a town of 90,000 that revolves around a university of about 34,000 students, this is one more civic blow. The entire nation is struggling in 2020, but college towns have felt a unique squeeze. Students went home in March, and most did not return to campus until August, if they returned at all. After a spasm of back-to-school carelessness, the Illinois students now seem to be accepting more cloistered lifestyle. Masked up, eating carryout, not going out, spending less time and money in the community. On what was supposed to be opening night in big-time college football, this place was dead quiet. It was a depressed and depressing Thursday in the middle of America, emblematic of so many college towns. Illinois, we feel your pain. There's a little break here in the article. A couple things from what Pat was talking about. First off, a great little closer there. Illinois, we feel your pain, apostrophe P-A-I-G-N. You know, when it comes to the university and what happened in the last week, and he kind of gets to that point, there was the, let's say, COVID uptick, big time uptick, which led the chancellor to send an email to all the students. Another email came out about a day or two ago that was really pointing the finger at undergrads because they were 95% of the cases. So they said, grad students, faculty, staff, you're fine. Undergrads, hey, get your crap together. We'll, We'll see if they do just that or not. But the buzz in this community or the action on green street or bars downtown i think that's overblown it would have helped it would have gotten a few more people out to different restaurants and bars downtown champagne campus town certainly more than downtown champagne but the going out habits for people in champagne have really changed as they've changed everywhere and i think most people are Comfortable with just eating outside. We'll see what the, you know places do when we get into colder weather, November, December. But people have been eating outside where there's not a lot of TVs to watch the game. I don't know how many people would have made an appointment to say, hey, let's get a group together and go to Buffalo Wild Wings. Not enough to make a world of difference. But all that said, in the middle of a pandemic and all these businesses that have been struggling, it's all relative, Right. For the usual crowds, which is to say not many people at all, getting a little bit of an influx of people for the game, however many people that would have been, it would have made a difference. So I get that. I think Pat is maybe painting a picture of the Champaign-Urbana is just nuts when there are football games, but when there are 12,000 people in the stadium instead of the usual, what, 35, 
I don't care how many Ohio State people are coming into town. That's only going to go so far. This would have been a year where these businesses and these hotels would have been hurting anyway. Certainly more money is not coming in as a result of this decision by the Big Ten. But I don't know how good it would have been even if they did get this game off the ground. This is where we get some more context, though, as he goes forward. He talks to Jane Deleuze. Would have been a great day for a football game, she said, sitting at an outdoor table at Farron's in downtown Champaign. The indoor seating is closed, so the restaurant is adopted like so many others nationwide, annexing nearby street space and going al fresco. Deleuze works next door at Visit Champaign County. She is as connected as can be to the business rhythms of the area and as connected as can be to Illinois athletics. Her father, Jim Turpin, there you go, was the radio voice of Illini football for 42 years. At the intersection of civic and campus life, these are grim economic times. It's decimated, Deleuze says. Since the spring, three of our hotels closed temporarily. I don't think they're all going to make it, especially now. Our tourism industry has been decimated by the lack of sports, conferences, group tours. It's tough. I feel for the small business owners. People think about the hotels for football, but how about the companies that do the Porta Johns outside the stadium for tailgating? What about the florist who does the flowers for receptions? The caterers? It's terrible. Duluth says an average Illinois home football game results in an estimated 3 million economic impact for Champaign County. In a normal season, that's roughly 20 million. This was not going to be a normal season. Okay, so context here from Pat. The original schedule called for seven home games. That was downsized to five when the Big Ten announced it was going to a conference-only format. If Illinois was able to sell tickets for 20% of capacity, that would have put roughly 12,000 fans in the stands. So each 2020 home game might have been worth 600000 to the community. With five of them instead of seven, that's about $3 million for the season, roughly the same as a single game in a normal season. That would have been a $17 million financial hit. Instead... It's $20 million because there's no home games at all. As the numbers illustrate, the Big Ten's decision not to play fall football while still under siege from coaches and fans and administrators and players and parents of players is not triggering financial ruin. COVID-19 already did that by demolishing schedules and reducing stadium capacity nationwide. No season at all is only slightly more ruinous financially than a partial season in a mostly empty stadium. Those were additional big sports plans, or there were, excuse me, additional big sports plans that currently said idle. Whitman worked with Deleuze and others to lay the groundwork for an arena near downtown for a new Illinois varsity sport, ice hockey. There are plenty of hockey fans in Illinois and players in the Big Ten footprint, and potentially there is revenue to be earned. The arena site is near the Amtrak station, perfect for hockey fans wanting to come down state from Chicago for a game. But it's the wrong time to invest tens of millions of dollars in a startup program. We're going to take a little pause on that project and let the dust settle a little bit, Whitman says. That is the understatement of (laughs) all understatements. I don't know when or if that thing's going to get off the ground. It would take an extremely, this is me speaking, not Whitman, by the way. That quote ended a while ago. That will take an extremely generous individual donor at this point, you would think. All right, the story continues. With the support of Whitman and the university, Champaign did grab back the state high school basketball championships for 2021 after they'd been in Peoria. That's a recruiting win for Illinois basketball and an economic win for Duluth and local businesses if the tournament happens. It's scheduled, but potentially subject to downsizing. Athletics is just part of the college town economic downturn, of course. When a huge campus shuts down, everything in its orbit teeters on the brink. That's why the Visit Champaign County focus has uh, shifted completely from a tourism mindset to finding ways to support local businesses that lost their clientele. Quote, the loss of student spending, the loss of jobs for people who depend on student spending, the closing of businesses, it's significant, Deleuze says. She mentioned a local bookstore that had to develop an online presence to get by. An art supply store, depending on Illinois art students, suddenly need a new clientele. Uber drivers, bike renters, banks near campus. The list of affected businesses keeps going. Quote, it's devastating, end quote. You know, living in Champaign, it is um, one of those communities where back in the recession in 2008, it didn't seem to affect us as much. Certainly it affected us. People lost their jobs, businesses closed, but we have had this sort of tag of being recession-proof. You got a university, and that keeps us above water where other communities may struggle that much more. But what made this particularly bad, or I should say will make it continually bad going forward for the businesses that haven't shuttered their doors yet but might in the near future, is the absence of students. And then even when the students return, their buying habits are different. We're talking, he said, 34,000. That's undergrad. You got well over 40,000 students, an influx of people, and their habits are not the same as they were when they were here in January and February. You mix that in with months where they were gone, 
And sadly, if they close down the university again, if these numbers don't go down enough, then you're looking at those numbers, uh, economic numbers getting even worse. So Champaign-Urbana, it just, it goes to show, and I'm glad Pat made this point. COVID-19 is what is wreaking havoc on the economy. An effect of that, of course, is college football trying to do 20% capacity, half capacity, whatever it may be. That is a result of COVID-19 already decimating everything else. So we can pretend that college football or the Big Ten's decision is the reason that this community is going to be losing $20 million. But when he lays it out and shows that it would have only been $3 million in revenue, estimated, of course, if you had 12,000 people in the stands for five home games, that really illustrates that the Big Ten's decision has far less of an impact than COVID-19 would have. All right, one more section here. At 8.06 p.m. Thursday, Jason Rita, you remember him, kicker? Well, now he works at CAMS. He told his front door staff to start deconstructing the orange fencing in front of CAMS. There were five portable fence sections set up for crowd control getting into Campus Town at the corner of First and Green, but there was no crowd to control. The happy hour crowd on the rooftop patio had largely dispersed, and the ground-level outdoor area under a tent was sparsely populated. Rita, the manager, knew that the night was all but over before it even began. As the staff took down the fencing, they discussed what the night would have been like if Ohio State were in town. Obviously, not having football has been a big impact on business, Rita says, slapping his hands on his thighs. Bad timing, but what can you do? What can you do? Cam's is the kind of college bar that booms in normal times, with 46 TVs lining the walls for sports fans and ample floor space for mingling. This is the new version. The old Cam's was a multi-generational champagne fixture that proclaimed itself home of the drinking Illini and came with a accompanying signature college bar odor. Understatement of the decade. Modernized and better located, Cam's reopened in January 2020. There are team photos in the walls of every Illinois Big Ten Championship football team. One room, used largely for alumni gatherings, is flush with cheap Illinois paraphernalia, the former mascot who was mothballed for obvious reasons. Now, don't get too ticked off about Pat's little aside there, people, okay? A mural in the courtyard outside features renderings of famous Illinois alums, the football stadium and basketball arena, and the signature campus alma mater statue wearing an orange cams t-shirt. There were big plans for 2020, and as we all know, 2020 has no use for anyone's plans. Quote, this place is designed for football season, says Rita, former Illinois place kicker who holds the school career scoring record with 267 points. I didn't realize that. Quote, it would have been nice to get this new facility broken today. Having Ohio State in town for a Thursday night opener would have been awesome. End quote. Instead, it was another ghostly Thursday night in a town that used to bounce on Thursday nights. Walk down Green Street and all the other establishments from the same streets as Cam's. Restaurants were sitting brown paper bags with to-go orders on tables with students darting in to pick them up and then head back to apartments or dorms. Outdoor tables sat vacant in front of bars. Kitchens were closing early. This is a recent development. Students came back to campus. Enjoyed a YOLO lifestyle for the first week, but COVID-19 testing numbers told on them after more than 400 positives between August 24th and September 1st. The university cracked down. Quote, we believe taking swift action to identify and remove students who refuse to follow safety guidelines is the right decision, Illinois Chancellor Robert Jones said in a statement. We've been encouraged that the vast majority of our students have been compliant, and we believe this effort will require non-compliant students to make the choice to either comply or leave campus. That was September 2nd. On September 3rd, Green Street was almost empty. The fencing came down at 8.06 at CAMS, and the front door was closed by 9.15. We've just got to ride it out, Rita says. Bars are public enemy number one right now with COVID. At the Esquire downtown, business is basically non-existent. The place caters more to professionals, faculty, and alumni than students, but it's feeling the effects of no football on a day when there was going to be football. During the season, they host a local sports talk radio show live from their location on Mondays, and they always draw a pregame crowd. Of course, it's a big deal when Sportsline is there. Uh... (laughs) I shouldn't joke. Uh, Quote, this is way slower than the slowest winter months, says manager Jackie Simpson. On game day, a lot of alums just say, meet up at the Esquire. For an Ohio State game, we would have been completely packed, end quote. Maybe. Uh, Again, football, (laughs) I I think that some of the impact is a bit overstated, knowing the habits that were already established before this game would have taken place. How many people would have actually been inside Esquire to watch the game? Packed is all relative, the outside may have been packed. There aren't TVs outside. Um, I, I understand where this is coming from, but at the same time, um, there needs to be a little bit more context with that. Uh, Pat Forty has another few sections in this article, and I, it's kind of cool when Champaign-Urbana gets the attention like that on Sports Illustrated from a writer that has national relevance 
you know, Pat is one of those guys that got accused, of course, of not wanting there to be football. This, of course, being someone that makes their career off of covering college football. And if you look on Twitter in the comments after he posted this article, that was expectedly what you got a lot of. Well, you didn't want football to come back anyways. I think this article shows that that's not the case. There is a human cost to this, and I don't mean life or death, but economic for sure. And I appreciate the fact that he's illuminating some of those little things like the companies that provide the porta potties. Well, their services aren't needed now. That is income that every single fall, I think it's Goliford is one of the big ones here. There's a few different companies and you can bet that they were counting on that income and they do every single fall from September through November. That's not there. The uh, florist that he mentioned for receptions and weddings and all that caterers, our caterer from our wedding is no longer in their location. And I hope that he is able to make it work when we're on the other side of this. But that's just two anecdotal examples of the impact it's having even here in Champaign-Urbana. That is what is a little bit harder to kind of wrap our brain around for people that live here. And I mentioned that before, that recession-proof is a tag that we maybe apply to ourselves because of the university. But all of a sudden, you take away events of any kind, and that just, its tentacles reach far and wide. And it doesn't matter what community you're in, it's going to affect us as well. So then the question is, okay, well, without football, and you are not going to get any home Illini football games this year in all likelihood. If there is a football season, you're probably looking at bubble sites, whether that be Minneapolis, Detroit, St. Louis, Indianapolis, with the 14 teams and, what, three games per day in each of those domes. I don't know how you even set it up, but there would be a way to do it, I think, as long as testing can ramp up and as long as the Big Ten presidents and chancellors get enough information to tell them that it's safe. I totally agree with the assessment that the Big Ten was not as transparent as they should have been. And you're seeing the Pac-12 take a little bit more of the lead on this and say, well, this is exactly why we elected to not have a football season. That's great. And I think Kevin Warren could have taken the lead on that, and he could have done it right off the top, even by saying an 11-3 to vote to not have football. But the rollout of that was a disaster, And they were unable to get in front of it and instead let this thing get hijacked from parents' groups, which I do question the motivations behind some of them. I think for some of them, it's just as simple as they want football because none of them really talk about community spread. That's my biggest issue with parents' groups. But the fact that Big Ten can't make these parents' groups, the ones that I should say, the ones that are not coming from a good place or the ones that are not really arguing for any other motivation except we want football. The Big Ten has yet to be able to kind of quiet them down a little bit, and that is a massive failure. We're talking about the most powerful conference in college football, and they do look small. They look small. I say that, and I agree overall with the premise that there's too much uncertainty to put our athletes out there, too much risk. We aren't going to do that. That I agree with. But you would also expect the communications aspect of it to be far stronger. Now, it is kind of funny, depending on the fan base, to see the different reactions. Ohio State specifically. I have a good friend who we meet every summer at the Dave Matthews shows. He's got a bunch of Buckeye gear. He is Buckeyed out. And I saw a tweet. I didn't respond because I didn't want to roll my, I didn't want my eyes to roll through the back of my head and out the other end because they might have if I wasn't careful but talking about a new super conference with Ohio State, Texas, Notre Dame, USC. They're all these teams. They're going to go rogue. They're going to start their own thing. And you know what? I get the idea. If you're an Ohio State fan, you're thinking, we've done more for the Big Ten than the Big Ten has done for us. Certainly in the last 10 years, that is the case. Last 20, to be honest. Uh, Is that going to be the case forever? I don't know. I I remember Ohio State in the late 80s and throughout the 90s. They were fine. They weren't Michigan. They were not the upper echelon of the Big Ten, even like a Penn State. So I'm thinking, okay, well, wait a second. They say that now, and I I bet they could sustain themselves without the Big Ten. They probably could. But there's still something in it for them. Is Ohio State going to go out there and start their own network? We'll see. I mean, Ohio is not Texas. Okay, so Texas and their Longhorn network, that's a little bit of a different beast. They aren't Notre Dame, but at the same time, I think that they could probably make an argument that, well, if Notre Dame can get their own TV deal, we could too. At the end of the day, though, economically speaking, does it make sense for them to leave the Big Ten? 
So we can have Ohio State screaming from the mountaintops that we are the biggest school and we want to play and therefore our voice should count more. But at the end of the day, the Big Ten, I still think, and maybe this is me and my dislike of Ohio State talking, but I still think the Big Ten has far more sway than Ohio State by themselves. That the so, the what the sum of the parts is still greater than any individual team, including Ohio State. That may be very naive of me to say. Regardless, Dan Patrick spoke today on his show with a bit of an update on the Big Ten negotiations. After that, we'll get into Sir Yacht. He, he's been on all over this thing on Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. He is, he is cracking the case. He's got sources up the yin-yang. He is going to let you know when Big Ten football starts, even though each and every day it seems like the date changes. But Dan Patrick on his show spoke on this today about where the Big Ten is at in terms of bringing football back and when they might do so. The Big Ten is still up in the air. If you were uh, not with us in the first hour, I gave you an update from my source that there's still a pushback from the medical community in the Big Ten to not play. And I was told they simply don't have enough teams to play. I was told that the Michigan teams not going to play. Illinois teams, that's Illinois Northwestern, are not going to play. Maryland's not going to play. And Rutgers probably won't play. That doesn't leave you with much if you're able to pull this off. And now I'm told that the medical community with the Big Ten is trying to push to November now. It was October 10th. That was the target date so they could get in a 10-game schedule and qualify for the postseason. I don't think that's going to happen. So you're not going to have Michigan, Michigan State. You're not going to have enough to put together. You're going to have, what, eight teams? Is that enough? And I'm told that even if they go into the spring, that a lot of these players are not going to want to play. There are a lot of players who don't want to practice now because there's the uncertainty of, do we even have games this year? Like They're, they're trying to understand why are we practicing for games that aren't going to happen? And... I think that there's starting to be a little pushback from some players at certain universities in the Big Ten. Pac-12, with their commissioner, Larry Scott, when he came on last week and basically was saying, hey, we're not playing. We may have some new testing. We're going to be playing in the springtime. I was told that uh, you know January is a legitimate landing date for the Big Ten. Like, that can still happen. It's just that is not the anywhere near the consensus. And I don't think you can get enough teams that are going to be able to pull this together to be able to play fall football. And I was a little more optimistic a week ago. Uh, I was also told, my source said, uh, after speaking to a Big Ten coach, they're really disappointed that the Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, has gone silent. Because he should be saying something here. They don't know. Does he want to play? Can we play? We've reached out to him for weeks just to try to see, like, what is the direction you're headed in here? And I'm told that it is just there are polar opposites in viewing this in the Big Ten. And uh, the likelihood right now seems really, really doubtful. Not looking good, essentially. Illinois, Northwestern, Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan, Michigan State. That's quite a few. Now, I would understand the argument that really how, how much are those teams going to impact the Big Ten race. The two best teams in that mix are probably... Northwestern and Michigan. Michigan certainly will be very good. I think Northwestern would probably be just fine. It's Pat Fitzgerald. He tends to do okay. But that still leaves Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Penn State, Ohio State, Purdue, and Indiana. Even though Purdue, that kind of strikes me a little bit surprising because Mitch Daniels has been pretty outspoken about not playing because of the risk involved. I understand why there is pushback. I understand why there's frustration at Kevin Warren because he probably should be talking right now. But on the other hand, I do wonder what exactly would he say that would make anyone feel better about the situation? What could he say right now other than we're in negotiations, we're talking with doctors, we're trying to find a path forward. If he put any sort of date out there, then he runs the risk of the Big Ten missing that date and looking foolish yet again. So yeah, standing pat, staying quiet, that's not a good look. But what could he say to necessarily raise his Q rating or make the Big Ten look better right now? I think that the rollout was was what it was. And even though they were probably coming from a place of protecting the student-athlete, it was damaging enough where we are at this point 
where it's a public relations nightmare. And I, I don't, I find myself conflicted on this. You know, I, I do want football, right? I'm going to enjoy watching football games on as long as they're on. The NFL, you're probably going to get a complete season. College football, probably going to run into issues. And you're already seeing things like Oklahoma, which have been pretty transparent about it, say that no matter how many cases are on their team, they aren't going to report that in the injury list, right? They, they consider it the same sort of thing where, well, for gamesmanship, we aren't going to say how many guys are out. I know some people have said, well, that's a HIPAA violation. They couldn't say how many guys are out. No, they can say how many guys have COVID-19, and we'd find out on that Saturday who exactly they are. But it's not a HIPAA violation unless they publish the names. This is a public health emergency. You know, we can sit here and just say, well, it's only old people that die from it, which I think is a very callous argument. The fact that, oh, well, they're old. They're expendable. Whatever. No, this is a public health emergency. We screwed the pooch as a nation. So while on one hand, I look at Kevin Warren and his bungling of this whole thing. On the other, I find myself sometimes thinking, am I on crazy pills or should we just not be playing sports at all? As much as I enjoy it, right? And especially should we be playing football of all things? There was a discussion I got in with Monticello Superintendent Vic Zimmerman. I want to make sure I get this right. I think initially from Paxson, which is where my dad's from. But he had tweeted out as a superintendent of Monticello Schools, and that's a community, I think, somewhere around 15,000, 20,000. So decent-sized community, about 20 minutes to the west, southwest of Champaign. And this is a tweet that he had. He has a picture of, well, from Max Preps, I believe, or some other website that has the map of the United States and the only states that are not allowing football, with Illinois being highlighted. This is garbage. Let us play. Hashtag let us play was from the Monticello superintendent. Now, I will say the optics of it. As a superintendent of a school district, you can want football to be back. You can want your student athletes to have the opportunity to play it. But I did find it to be a little bit tone deaf. For one, as a superintendent, you were not just working for the student athletes. You're really working for the community whose tax money is paying for the district, right? So you are just as much of a public servant as you are a representative and caretaker of your students and your student athletes. So I found that to be pretty tone deaf in a community that has a pretty sizable older population and just the the lack of awareness that it's not so much about these young dudes getting out on a field and, and bashing each other around. Some of them will get COVID, certainly. Some of them will pass it to their classmates. And some of those classmates interact with people in the community that would be at risk. High school kids don't live in a bubble. Far less of a bubble than college kids. Where on campus they're living in dorms and apartments. And the interaction with the community at large is at least, um, well, it's minimal compared to, let's say, the 17-year-old high school kid at Monticello that maybe works at Dairy Queen after school and serves a bunch of people. Or maybe one of them works at an elder care facility or something like that. And unbeknownst to them, they got COVID-19 from a classmate who was in a football game the week before. This is how it happens. And it is not worth the risk. So he can say that we want our Friday football frenzy. I think I just borrowed that from Channel 3. (laughs) We want that back. That is part of our community. It means a lot. It means a lot in Monticello. It means a lot in a lot of these small towns around Champaign-Urbana. I didn't have that experience from Urbana, so I don't want to pretend to know how important that is to these communities. I watch Friday Night Lights. That's probably the closest indication I'm going to get to what football means for these towns. So I empathize. That is a huge part of their culture being taken away, and I understand the inclination to say, well, it hasn't hit here yet. Why can't we play football? But the other part of me says that is a very selfish outlook. We want football, but at what cost? And that goes back to the uncertainty, not fear. Do not mistake fear for uncertainty and vice versa. The uncertainty that these kids in that community and many other small communities, these are tight-knit places, The kids might have after-school jobs. The kids have family members. The kids may see those family members, older ones, especially on weekends or holidays. And we're talking about playing football when we don't have the testing capability to make sure that when those kids step on the field, they don't have it. I find that to be very short-sighted. And you would hope that superintendents, people in power, in education especially, are not that short-sighted. 
it's not going to probably kill 16-year-old Johnny on the football team. But it could if it gets in the community and gets to someone that is at risk. And therein lies the whole dilemma with college or high school, and I guess to an extent pro, even though the NFL so far has done an excellent job according to their testing. One guy, one NFL player or staff member got it in the latest round of testing, and that was something like tens of thousands of tests. So that's pretty remarkable. Job well done for them, NHL, even Major League Baseball. Other than the Cardinals early in the season, and I think it was Miami, they've, for the most part, kept a lid on it. And of course, the NBA bubble as well. So yeah, it can get done professionally. But when you start acting as if uh, these football games couldn't be potential super spreader events, right? Where all of a sudden you got one kid on the offensive line and pretty soon you have the entire offensive line and then the opposing team's defensive line has it. And a lot of these kids would be asymptomatic and they wouldn't know it. And we want football for that. That is where the disconnect lies. That is where my lack of experience with small town football probably keeps me from empathizing more. But I say all that there are things that I want to do and I have not been able to do this year and I hate it. But at the same time, I understand why it is not probably a good idea to go with 30,000 other people and scream at the top of our lungs at a rage against the machine concert outdoors or not. Just as it is probably not a good idea if we cannot test these kids beforehand to send them out on a football field. You know, we can blame Governor Pritzker. Some are doing that. Whatever. We can blame the IHSA. But at the end of the day, the risk avoidance in not playing these games, I think, is acceptable. Given the circumstances, once in a century pandemic, I think it's acceptable when we're nearing 200,000 deaths. And when we just say, well, hunker down and don't let grandma get it, I find that to just be very callous. All for what? For sports? I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast that I love sports and I'm going to be watching them. Just as I've watched football before, knowing full well that concussions and all that, it can have long-term effects on these guys. I watch it. I understand the moral and ethical dilemma in doing so. I understand the moral and ethical dilemma in watching football during a pandemic and knowing that these could be events that might spread it, yet I'm still going to watch it. I can be totally contradictory in that way. I, I fully admit that. But the anger and the venom from some people just because their favorite team isn't playing football. Damn, uh, I love sports. Maybe I just don't love it that much. I don't know. Maybe it's just not that important to me. One final thing before we get out of here. Sir Yacht. I've teased that name a few times. If you don't know who Sir Yacht is, he is a young gentleman who on Twitter has gained quite the following over the last few weeks. And his shtick has been letting people know that his sources say Big Ten football is coming back. There's going to be a vote today. There's going to be a vote tomorrow. This is one of those situations where his information continued to roll to the next day. So he might have said there's a meeting on Friday. Well, the meeting didn't happen on Friday. And then on Saturday, he'd say, well, uh, the meeting didn't go off as planned, but it looks like on Monday they're going to hold a vote. And I'm paraphrasing a bit, but if you go to the timeline, you're going to see a long running list of promises. Well, I shouldn't say promises, but reporting, quote unquote, that says, well, the Big Ten is kind of like what Trump said a couple weeks ago. We're at the one yard line. Was that two weeks? That was a week ago, not two weeks ago. Good God, time is just... Time is a flat circle, as Matthew McConaughey said in uh, True Detective. But as I look at this phenomenon of Sir Yacht, someone that has amassed tens of thousands of followers in the last couple of weeks, it is disheartening at the end of the day to think that that many people are following this account because they so badly want the news that football is coming back. That is it. This guy does not have credentials or history to say that he actually has sources at an administrative level for any university, at a conference level, and yet he's reporting things as if he does. When you continually misreport after report after report, eventually you're just probably lying, unless that's a really long line of bad luck. Day after day, you, just, you have a report, you got multiple sources, and then, ah, gosh darn it, things keep changing. Well, maybe it was just bad luck for Suryat, but for some reason I get the feeling that this is some kid that recognized we want to be told what we want to hear. We want a warm, cuddly blanket. We want to feel as if the things that we're missing out on are coming back and they're coming back soon. 
I get that feeling with other things, right? But at the end of the day, there is a certain switch that you got to flip off and say, well, wait a second, this person doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. That there needs to be some accountability for that. This kid is probably going to have followers for a long time. He might parlay this into some sort of gig at Barstool Sports. Would not surprise me if he did. And I guess from a marketing perspective, good on him. But it was all done, or at least I think it was, given the inaccuracy of basically every tweet, it was all done in an almost manipulative way. Just identifying the one thing that people really wanted and saying, I'm just going to make my entire timeline about that one thing. And that is, I guess, symptomatic of this Twitter universe that we're all a part of. I mean, if you're listening to the show, chances are you probably follow us on Twitter. You're on Twitter for sports news and rumors and all that. Listen, I get excited about rumors and things like that as well. But eventually, if you get told the rumor over and over, sort of like when we have coaching searches, the Kevin Sumlin stuff, Brad Stevens. Remember back in the 90s, well before Twitter, Coach K bought a lot in Muhammad. Oh, okay. Well, it was Coach Kruger, even though I think he lived in Champaign. Regardless, rumors are fun, but if the person telling me that rumor was wrong again and again and again, the rumors are no longer fun. It's just annoying. So it will be interesting to see the fallout from Suryat after amassing quite the following, he will probably land a gig somewhere. That is where, you know, as much as I like the fact that sports media is as widespread as it is and you can find your own niche, there are downsides to that, that you can find your own niche by basically delivering bunk material. But Godspeed, Suryat, you found the algorithm, which is tell people what they want and they will follow. Now, whether or not we tell you exactly what you want, I appreciate the fact you listened to us. Uh, today's episode, I guess, went a little bit longer for one of these solo things. There was a lot of stuff to talk about. I wanted to read a good chunk of that Pat Forty article because I thought that, for one, it's cool that Champaign-Urbana got that, you know, got that amount of publicity, even though it's not great publicity, but we're feeling the crunch like other communities. I thought Pat Forty did a good job of humanizing it and showing that the effects of this go far outside of just the locker room and reaffirming the fact that, yeah, he wants college football back. I want college football back. November, January, even though I kind of agree with Dan Patrick at that point, it's how does that work? How many players even end up playing? It's, it's a mess. There's no doubt about it. But guess what? We're in a pandemic. Things are messy. We're figuring things out. And we don't know everything about this virus. And that is going to infect, no pun intended, all of these decisions that sports leagues and conferences have to make. It may be that we get into mid-October, two, three weeks in the SEC season, and we see multiple postponements. Look at Florida State. I know they're ACC, but as an example, had an absolute outbreak over the course of the weekend. A lot of it stemming from a pool party, I believe. They're well into the hundreds per day of people testing positive. And keep in mind, they don't have the testing capacity of the U of I. They aren't testing everybody or 14,000 people a day. These are the positive tests they're getting back for however many they're running, which is a fraction of what we're running here. So don't be surprised if we get into mid-October, postponement here, postponement there, any idea that we're going to have a college football championship that is valid, I bet that's going to be nullified by the fact that teams can't complete their schedules. And it's not an I told you so. It's not something I'm looking forward to happening. Just like when me and Harry about a month and a half ago talked about how bringing students back to campus is inevitably going to cause an uptick in cases and hell, they'll probably be sent back home in mid-September. That may happen. And there certainly was an uptick in cases. But there are certain things that you can see from a mile away and even the smartest people in the room, they make decisions to the contrary. And not to end this on a super pessimistic note, but if you ask yourself why are a lot of these decisions being made, it's money. It's money. And... I get it, but damn if it's hard not to be a little bit cynical about old college sports and really this college system that we have in America in general, from the crazy tuition rates to the amount of money it costs to send a kid to four years of college, why do you think they're so insistent on bringing kids back to campus? Duh, money. And it sucks. It is what it is. It's also understandable. I'm not outraged necessarily by it, but I'm disappointed that it seems like that is the constant money. You know, I sound like Frances McDormand at the end of Fargo when she picks up Steve Buscemi after the wood chipper thing. Spoiler, sorry. And she says, and all for what? 
for a little bit of money. Which, by the way, I'm going to go watch Fargo now. I, I freaking love that movie. Actually, you know what? I'm going to wait until it's colder. That's a great December, January movie. All right. On that note, thanks for hanging around a longer podcast. We'll be back later this week. I know it's Tuesday, but we'll come back Thursday, I believe. I uh, got to thank DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com. Order online for all the best deals and prices. They will deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Get custom zones with any topping you want. Get one of their favorites, Buffer Zone, Maui Wowie. Plenty of others to choose from. You get the dipping sauce with the calzone. Mm, delicious marinara dipping sauce. You get a drink, a cookie if you want. They will bring it to your door. So if you don't want to encroach on that campus bubble, let DP Doe bring it to your doorstep. Online at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200LEVEL for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. And State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. Whatever the insurance may be, visit online at brianismyguy.com. For Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, I will see you all later this week. Appreciate you listening. Take care, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. It is the 200 level.